0: Goal and OT with the black eye. Like, just you, know, you come back to the bench, and you know, Pete's got the ice inside, you know, a latex glove, and he's trying to keep the swelling out of there. I mean, at one point, I think there was a debate about cutting him.
1: Here's Francis. Nice step on. Francis is in. Tried to make the pass.
2: back on it. I was never like a major award winner, but that was just one of the cool, cool moments of my career. Just playing against the leafs, having the black eye and scoring the winner. It was just uh, you know, it's not a Hall of Fame moment or anything like
3: that, but it was a pretty cool moment for me, that's for sure. The late Yosef Watsych to Swoboda in front of Marty Jelena He knocks the puck through Curtis Joseph at Air Canada Center. And I'll never forget that. That that to me would be a close second Adam in uh, the annals of Hurricane history.
4: One guy is in the Hall of Fame, one guy should be in the Hall of Fame, and the other guy was a Hall of Famer for the franchise, right? So th- they knew. They-, they knew that they should have been respected more.
1: Here's O'Neal stealing one behind the net, played it off a leg. He's got it back. Tips it to the Francis who scores. Ron Francis at the top of the crease, puts it upstairs at 58 seconds of overtime. And Jeff O'Neill came up with it behind the net off a leg. Returned it from the goal line, extended to the top of the crease. And Ron Francis deposited it up over the crossbar. And this stunned Joloa Serena crowd has now seen in living color. And it is red and white, ironically. What the Hurricanes have done throughout the playoffs. They win another one. They go 7-1 and one and win it 3-2 to two
5: tonight. It's Iserman back to... Fed her off, empty net situation, so a forward on the point. So one Hall of Famer to another Hall of Famer to Lidstrom in the middle, another Hall of Famer, and he just found a way, as he always did, to get it through, and Brett Hall tips at home. So Hall of Fame to Hall of Fame to Hall of Fame to Hall of Fame. Welcome to the Cane's Corner Podcast with your host, Adam Gold. The Cane's Corner Podcast is a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. And now, here's Adam.
6: The 2006 edition of the Carolina Hurricanes claimed the Stanley Cup. June 19, 2006. Who could forget it? Aaron Ward, Frank Cabrala, eventually Justin Williams into an empty net, etched all of those names onto Lord Stanley's Cup. Brindamore, Cole, Hedekin, Adams, Wasacek, Wesley, etc. But four years earlier, the 2002 version of the franchise was the foundation that 06 was built upon. And those names were all part of that first Hurricanes group that surprised the rest of the National Hockey League Hi, everyone. I'm Adam Gold, and this is the 25th Anniversary Canes Corner Podcast. A look back at the franchise since relocation from Hartford. Thanks to our friends at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina, and to you for checking in along the way. That 2002 Hurricanes team finished with 91 points, six clear of Washington in the Southeast Division. Carolina's point total was only the seventh best in the conference, but by virtue of being a division champ, they were slotted as the third seed in the East. So when seven-seeded Ottawa knocked off Philadelphia, and the top overall seed, Boston, was upset by number 8 Montreal, it left the Hurricanes with home ice advantage until they got to the finals. Well, we know what happened in those first two rounds. They vanquished the Devils, the team that ended their 2001 playoff stay in six games. Then, thanks to the miracle at Molson and an offense that exploded for 17 goals over a six-period span plus 314 of an overtime, they got rid of Montreal, all against a goaltender, Jose Theodore, that would be chosen as the league's most valuable player. These Hurricanes were not to be overlooked. Though that's how most felt heading into the playoffs. Almost to a man, those Hurricanes felt as though the experts didn't take them seriously. And when you consider the devils of that time— plus hockey hotbeds like Montreal and Toronto, you can understand why maybe some would have been so quick to dismiss Carolina's chances. In Toronto, the Hurricanes would meet the East's second-best team. With 100 points, one shy of Boston, and a conference-high 247 goals scored, the Maple Leafs were loaded. Matt Sundin, Darcy Tucker, Alexander McGilney, and former Hurricanes forward Gary Roberts led a big physical dangerous attack and one of the best goaltenders of his era curtis joseph backed up a defense led by bruising brian mccabe the leafs were expected by their fans by their press and by the national media that covered and broadcast the games in both canada and the united states to make quick work of the hurricanes who were to this point probably nothing more than a cute feel-good story But what happened next put cute in the rearview mirror. The team that authored the Molson Miracle still had the eye of the hurricane in its near future. In the middle of Game 3, with the series tied at 1, Carolina forward Jeff O'Neill took a puck directly into his left eye. It was brutal. And for Eric Cole and Sean Hill, two of the most important pieces of that team, it was the most memorable part of that series. O's goal and O.T.? With the black eye,
0: like just, you you come back to the bench and, you know, Pete's got the ice inside, you know, a latex glove and he's trying to keep the swelling out of there. I mean, at one point, I think there was a debate about cutting him, but I don't think the doctor wanted that. He didn't want that scar. So, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, for him to stay in, um, especially because he had he had struggled a little bit in the New Jersey series, but to the point where in the, you know, in the Montreal series, I mean, he's the guy, you know, playing on a third line role, you know, winning the face off that, you know, Nicky Walleen puts in the back of the net for the, for the OT winner. So like, like, Oh, was a little bit in the doghouse in the Montreal series and to go back to his hometown and, play the way he did, you know, for the remainder of the playoffs for us. Like, yeah, he was incredible. And I and that, you know, that
7: game obviously had a, you know, a huge, a huge boost, you know, for him personally, I think. I think that, that was a huge part of it. You know, him with the black eye, like Colsey said, was kind of, you know, very indicative of what the series was like. I think it was more of a battle than than the other two series. Um, you know, all the series were physical back then. But, you know, I remember, you know, Roberts, Corson, Tucker, um, you know, they those guys played hard, and they were they were finishing everything. And everybody finishes everything in the playoffs, but not to the extent that these guys did. Um, Domi, Domi, yeah. I mean, they're like I said, and they had you know Panakarovsky was a big body, and and when he wanted to bang and Antropov, and I mean they just they were heavy, they were heavy, um, you know, across their lineup, and um, you know, I think that's probably the biggest the biggest thing is how physical the series was and that you know kind of transitions right to oh with the the look you know.
1: Here's Francis. Nice step on Ellison. Francis is in. Tried to make the pass.
2: I just remember that Shane Corson was a pretty intense competitor, and he didn't really check in on guys on the ice to see how they were doing. But I remember him looking at me on the face off. Brian McCabe was trying to ice the puck. I think they were shorthanded, and he hit me right in the eye. And it was just a mess. And I remember going in, and I just said, do whatever you got to do to this thing, but I'm going back out there. And I went on the ice, and I lined up against him, and he was like, Jesus, Murphy, are you all right? And I don't know, I didn't have much to say. It was like, I guess I'm okay. And then to score the overtime winner, it's like, you know, looking back on it, I was never like a major award winner, but that was just one of the cool cool moments of my career. Just playing against the Leafs, having the black eye and scoring the winner. It was just, you know, it's not a Hall of Fame moment or anything like that, but it was a pretty cool moment for me, that's for sure.
6: From Jeff O'Neill to Hurricane Center Kevin Adams, a one-time Maple Leaf. He understood the magnitude of that entire series.
8: Playing in Toronto in general uh, in a regular season game is an event. You know, having played for the Leafs, like, you know, I lived it and um, it's special. I mean, every player loves, you know, playing in that building and the atmosphere. Now you take it up a notch of being in the playoffs and then even take it up another notch being in the conference finals. Um, yeah, I mean, they had a really good team, they had a veteran team, they, had, they were pretty you know, loaded from goaltender out that year. But again, I think there was kind of a little bit of a swagger within our locker room that we didn't necessarily uh, we weren't the flashiest or we didn't talk about it necessarily, but I think we believed it. And so maybe the outside world didn't necessarily think that was gonna happen, but I think within our locker room there was no doubt that we were we were gonna win that series if we played the game the right way, which obviously um, you know, it's, it's what it ended up happening. So it was, it was fun. I mean, man, you playing in the playoffs and in 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 a Canadian city, especially like Toronto. It, we, I think we, if you asked all the guys from that team, I think every guy would say the same thing. I mean, what a better opportunity could you ask for than that?
6: That was Game Three of a series that went six games and never saw more than three total goals scored in any game. The Canes won Game 4 to take a 3-1 series lead, but Toronto brought everyone back to Canada by shutting out Carolina 1-0 in Game 5 in Raleigh. What followed was one of the most memorable games in Hurricanes history, then radio voice Chuck Caton.
3: The late Josef Wasacek to Sloboda in front of Marty Jelena. He knocks the puck through Curtis Joseph at Air Canada Center and I'll never forget that. That, that to me would be a close second, Adam, in uh, the annals of hurricane history. Both those guys. Uh, I can still see Jelena jumping 10 feet in the air and uh, making amends for the double hit back in the '99 playoffs against the Boston Bruins. And so he avenged that, and the Hurricanes went on to go to the, uh, the finals against Detroit for the first time. And Jelena is back
1: out to Carolina to center. That's a puck into the league zone. Erickson back there. Gilney takes it from him, throws it behind the net, that's a juggernaut the shot, at they score! I think it was Jelena who knocked it in, and Carolina is in a celebration mode now for sure, the building is shocked, with that loose play inside the leaf line, that ends up, in the Carolina goal, and I believe it was Martin Jelena who poked And five seconds, and Carolina will go on to the Stanley Cup championship. The Leafs, gallant effort, and a gallant try, and this playoff here is over.
2: I'll give Carolina credit: six goals against in six games. Never mind how many you score. If you can hold the high-scoring team to six, you've got a great chance of winning.
6: Yeah, I think you should give the Hurricanes credit, mostly because they, you know, won the series. But that was the CBC, and Toronto was their team. But if you ask then-television voice John Forsland, it was no better in the United States. The ESPN
4: call, Steve Levy, right. you can hear the shock in his call. You know, the Carolina Hurricanes are going to the Stanley Cup final?
1: Shot in by Jell and a Sarkin. Erickson there, bumped by Svoboda. Behind the net, falling away.
4: It was that crazy. It it really was. I don't blame them for having that um, reaction, but it's kind of fitting that they did because it depicts exactly what transpired. This great team should have been looked at as just a great match for Toronto, but it wasn't. It was like, these guys are nobodies. And, and, and I think that's what was Adam driving the team to within the locker room because remember, as we said at the top, you've got Francis and Brindamore and Wesley and, you know, and other guys that we've mentioned. But most importantly, those, those three elder statesmen, You know, one guy is in the Hall of Fame, one guy should be in the Hall of Fame, and the other guy was a Hall of Famer for the franchise. right? So they knew. They, they knew that they should have been respected more for who they were. And just because they had the Hurricane sweater on they weren't getting that respect at that time.
6: One of the great traditions in all of sports is the post series handshake line in the NHL playoffs. After teams get through beating each other's brains in, it's time for the losers to congratulate the winners. Sean Hill and then Eric Cole. For
7: me, that's the coolest moment in sports when when hockey teams are shaking hands and you, you go against a team like that and there's so much respect and you know, after such a, a gruesome battle with them, it I'll tell you what, it's it's pretty cool. And it's a lot obviously better to be on the, the winning side of it. Um but, you know, even for a little extra spice to it, Gary Roberts was a good friend of a lot of ours and a really good friend of of mine and he was kind of a you know a mentor to me as well. Um former teammate and you know, great teammate and really took me under his wing as far as uh, you know fitness and and um uh, you know rest and and that type of thing as far as getting your body you know physically ready to play in the off season and, and keeping it ready to play and in recuperation and that type of thing and um you know that was hard for for me to to have to do that to you know to beat them was not hard but to shake his hand after and after you know what he had had meant to me as far as a teammate and helped me out so much it was uh you know that was just another layer to it
0: yeah everyone was pretty good through the handshake line nobody like i think at the end of the day you know that's like what sean said it's one of, it's one of the best things especially you know for how physical and just like how how much you have to compete in battle um you know to you know win or lose you've got to you know you gotta go stand in line and congratulate everybody and uh you know look them in the eye you know tell them good job good luck whatever you know whatever it is um and you know for me I was like hated in that series so uh so it was it was gratifying to like to go to go through you know that handshake line and obviously um you know, like with my battle with, with Rob's in particular, like it, like it took a fairly large toll on my body. The other part of that is Hilly and Rob's communicated up until the, the start of the, the series against Toronto, right? That's where the the phone calls got shut off. Yeah. So like literally like usually like, you know, like those two like chatting and um, you know, throughout the, You know, throughout the playoffs up until that series started and then, you know, the phone calls stopped and there wasn't any any more communication between those guys and radio silence. Yeah, It was radio silence. uh, But like the guys were coming to the like what Sean was talking about with, you know, rest and recuperation and things like that, like, uh, you know, the A.R.T., was it, was it pre-bag at the time or was the other guy? Yeah. Uh, was coming to our hotel room and doing work on Hilly and adjustments. And Sean's trying to get me to jump on the And I'm like, no, like I'm good. I'm like, don't worry. Like, you know, Rob's will crack my back in the first shift for me. (laughs) Like, I don't need you to do it for me tonight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, and Sean and I, like Sean too, like I know, I, I know what it took out of him in that series because, you know, you're you're behind the closed doors. Like for me, I was you know, breathing up blood. Like it was just brutal. So it was uh, you know, it it was it was a a lot of you know, wear and tear that we went through to you know, to win that series. And I don't think anybody was really left unscathed of that. You know, to to be able to go through and and shake uh, shake their hands in just a absolutely pin drop arena. It was, uh, yeah, it was that was, was a fun moment.
6: Remember Michael Jordan's flu game in that NBA final series against Utah? Well, Carolina's Brett Hedekin had his own version.
9: Before going up, I think for Game Three. I ate at a specific restaurant, and when I went back to that before game six, before we got on the plane to fly up there, I ate at the same restaurant, had the same things, you know, the stupid superstition things that we do, and ended up getting food poisoning. By the time I got to Toronto, I was I was getting sick in the hotel room, puked all night long, basically got up the next morning, and uh, I could hardly get out of bed they throw a couple of IV bags in me um, before the game. I had, a, a, I think, a cup of oatmeal and went out and played pretty much the game of my life. To win the game, I, I think I led our team in minutes that night. I, I think it was like one of those out-of-body experiences that you have where your body's just on autopilot. And, and, and I don't know what happened, how I ended up, how, you know, how I did it, but somehow, some way, I did it that night, and you know, we ended up winning the game going on at the Stanley Cup.
6: New Jersey in six, Montreal in six. Toronto in six, all closed out on the road. But what would happen when the Hurricanes no longer had home ice advantage? And that's what was in store when Carolina would meet the NHL's last true super team in the Detroit Red Wings. After the break.
1: Here's O'Neill stealing one behind the net, played it off a leg. he's got it back. Tips to the Francis puts it upstairs at 58 seconds of overtime. A broken play, and Jeff O'Neill came up with it behind the net off a leg. Returned it from the goal line, extended to the top of the crease, and Ron Francis deposited it up over the crossbar. And this stunned Joe Louis Arena crowd has now seen in living color, and it is red and white, ironically. What the Hurricanes have done throughout the playoffs, they win another one. They go 7-1 and one, and win it 3-2 to two tonight.
6: Chuck Hayton with one of the great play-by-play calls in franchise history. Ron Francis giving the Hurricanes an overtime win in Game 1 in Detroit, something John Forsland will never forget.
4: Remarkable uh, moment. Dominic Hoshik in goal. Uh, afternoon game. I remember leaving Joe Louis Arena and walking back to the hotel and just like euphoric. Uh, first of all, just understand that the the team was, was at that place, and the team won, and Ronnie gets the goal. And it's a, it's a fitting image of the puck going in over a Hall of, hall of Famer against Hall of Famer um, in an iconic building against an iconic franchise with a $70 million payroll, I believe, and the Canes had a $30 million payroll. Um, you know, he had wide disparity. That type of disparity among franchises was going to lead to Armageddon a couple of years later, and a salary cap. Um, but that's what was happening in the NHL. And and you know, they're 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 rolling out Igor Larionov and Brett hall and Luke Robitaille as is like support players. Um, that's that's crazy to even think that that's possible with Scotty Bowman behind the bench.
6: Yeah, that's right. Nine Hall of Fame players plus arguably the greatest coach in the game's history. Formidable task for sure. But first blood went to Carolina. Kevin Adams.
8: Again, you look at the team that Detroit had, I mean, I don't know how there would not have been um, a lot of confidence on their side. I mean, they, I don't know how many Hall of Famers lined up and out of those 20-some guys, but quite a few. Um, and they were, they were experienced. They were deep. They were hungry um but i do think that you know that game one um we sent a message that uh that we were there we weren't there just to to be uh saying we played in the finals we were there to um try to win that series
9: Brett Hedican I remember this team on the other side that was full of the biggest names in hockey right i mean this was before you know the salary cap era and I looked over there and there was a lot of confidence. You could see almost a swagger amongst them in Detroit and almost a cockiness and an arrogance. And I, I, I could kind of feel like this, this underdog group of guys. From I, I always call us the junkyard dogs that year in 2002 against the prima Donnas. And I just remember that game one, them slowly wiping that face, that arrogance off their face throughout the course of that game and ended up winning the game and them kind of looking shocked at the end of it. Um, that's the thing I remember about that game one is just kind of wiping that uh, arrogance off every one of their faces uh, for that game one.
6: Eric Cole and Sean Hill remember.
0: I mean, I can remember being on the bus ride back to the hotel, and I can just remember sitting on the bus ride back and thinking to myself, like, holy, shit. Like we're, we're three away from this thing. I can I, I I just remember kind of pinching myself um, a little bit about it, but I think that like that game one, I think was was a, a situation where you know again we were we were probably taken a little lightly by the opponent given who they had uh, on the other side, and I think that uh, like that surprised them and 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 we I I think we you know even. Like, I'll always say this, like, we we actually gave him a really good game in game two also. It was, you know, the late goal, or like a later power play goal. What uh, was it the one-timer from the point, Lidstrom? And then they ran that damn face-off play where Draper goes right up the middle, and they slide a pat,
7: and he went in, and all of a sudden it was 3-1. It was like, oh, it was like everyone thought someone else scored and like buzzes right past Ronnie to like a pile up and there and Ronnie's sitting there like I, I just scored that goal why is nobody giving me any love here right do you remember that yeah I think it was
0: I I want to say it was for some reason I feel like it was O that threw that out in front to him it right. was like it was like loose puck side of the net right and it got thrown back in front and Ronnie you know deflected it past him and. I think guys were coming off the bench on the way to Ronnie, but they got intercepted by whoever passed. Yeah, something like that. It was, <laughs> yeah,
7: it was almost yeah, like. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, it was, it was like a one, one thousand, two, one thousand, <laughs> three, right. and then all of a sudden Ronnie just went over the piles like, fine. Yeah, Ronnie, you're not Ronnie's coming to Ronnie's, me. I'll Ronnie's, go to you. Ronnie's you know? arms
0: were like on the way <laughs> yeah, down.
7: Like, yeah, like what, what's up with this? You know, I'm I'm the one who just ended yeah.
6: this deal. You yeah. know, yeah, don't don't worry about me. Yeah, I'm, I'm just only over the here. lead singer. Yeah. <laughs> just, what about the goal scorer? Ron Francis, you
3: know, you look at the cup finals, I believe the, the Detroit payroll was somewhere around $80 million. I think ours was somewhere around 27 or 28. So obviously pre cap era, uh, some of the teams we beat along the way, um, you know, were much more talented, uh, paid a lot more money than our team was, but there was just something about that team and, and, uh, you know, the guys just believed in each other and believed in what we were doing and they really didn't pay attention to anything outside. Uh, uh, and just went out there and found ways to win hockey games. It uh, wasn't always pretty. Uh, too many times we gave up one late and had to win in a horse. But, uh, um, you know, we just continued to believe in battle and, and for that team to accomplish what it did. Um, you know, it was amazing. I still think, you know, game three that detroit series we gave up a goal late for them to tie it that we lost in, in the third overtime and i i still believe if we win that game i mean the pressure and everything shifts to detroit and, and we have a strong chance of, of winning that cup but uh, that's another story
6: that was just game one detroit won game two three to one but it was a one-one game until deep into the third period but all of it was just the prelims for what would happen next when the series shifted to Raleigh for Game 3. Here's John Forsland.
4: It's one of the greatest games that's ever been played. Um, again, collection of players, the Hall of Fame players that participated in that game um, ended after 1 a.m. And it was one of those games where I think the, the deepness of Detroit's lineup basically was the difference in the game. The longer the game went, the harder it was for Paul Maurice to get certain players on the ice. And he really overtaxed the the high end of his lineup, as opposed to Bowman, who was able to um, have an equitable approach with his ice time. It's in the hands. It's in the hands of the hurricanes. Again, six attackers, high tip, red hall, uh, Greatest One of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the game. Scores, go to three overtimes, and a uh, remarkable hockey game. Just an uh, absolutely remarkable hockey game with uh, Larry Anoff getting the game-winning goal.
6: Ron Francis, Rod Brindamore, Jeff O'Neill, Bates Pitaglia, and Eric Cole all played more than 30 minutes. The first three, nearly 40. Three of Carolina's defensemen played more than 40 minutes, including Brett Hedekin, who totaled a team-high 49.5 minutes on ice.
9: Nick Lidstrom, I remember, shot the puck wide of the net. And of all guys, Brett Hall standing there with his stick kind of aimed towards the goal, just ahead of the the goal line. I mean, he just hit his stick, shaft, and went straight, you know, right, if you're looking at hole, you know, towards our net, and goes in and ties the game. And then, you know, obviously Igor Larionov with the play in overtime, uh, triple overtime, to win the game. And it was just one of those... Like somebody stabbed you in the heart.
5: All wants to get in front of the net. That's where
1: he is. Straight out from Herbie. Face off. One by Carolina. They don't get it out. Shot into the crowd. Score! A shot for the blue line. Harmless enough. And a gun by Herbie with one fourteen remaining. This game is tied.
9: You know, we had him in that game 50 seconds to go, whatever it was. And... Had we close them out, we're up 2-1. to one. And that was another one of those moments where I could see the look on every one of their faces. Like, we're, we, we're going to lose. Like, the, the Detroit Red Wings faces, we're going to lose to these guys is what I kept seeing on their face. And I'm telling you, we had them right there in that Game 3. If we win that game, I don't know what happens. We're up 2-1, to one, coming back for Game 4. It, it was a lot closer series than people might have thought. But uh, we, we definitely had them on the ropes. But they, they, they got off the ropes on that Brett Hall tying the game, and then obviously winning it in, in triple overtime with Igor Lariano. Jeff O'Neal.
2: Yeah, that Brad Hall tip goal from the point. I think I was on the bench watching that, and I was just like, damn. We just needed to win that game so badly. And I think, I thinking, thinking back to overtime, it's like Detroit we're, weren't exactly spring chickens. They had a lot of older veteran guys, and that game going to triple overtime, if we just could have squeaked that one out, maybe that would have tired them out a little more. But they won that game and they got all the momentum from that. And then it was kind of lights out from there. But we were in it and we just we couldn't find a way to win that game. They just they had that tip-in goal. Lidstrom, I think he had a shot from the point. Hall tipped it in, and it was kind of game over after that. But it was a hell of a ride and a lot of fun.
5: Here's Carolina TV analyst Trip Tracy. Jeff O'Neill scores a goal after Ron Francis won Game One in overtime at Detroit. It's a huge disparity in payroll. O'Neal scores with, what, 11, 12 minutes in game three, you know, in a 1-1 series in the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, Roddy goes toe-to-toe with his uh, Nagano uh, Canadian Olympic uh, roommate, Steve Eiserman. Eiserman found a way to win the draw. It's Iserman back to off empty net situation, so a forward on the point. So one Hall of Famer to another Hall of Famer to Lidstrom in the middle, another Hall of Famer, and he just found a way, as he always did, to get it through, and Brett Hall tips at home. So Hall of Fame to Hall of Fame to Hall of Fame to Hall of Fame. And, you know, since then, I've spoken candidly with Ken Holland, who was the general manager of the Red Wings, and he thinks if, if the Hurricanes win that game, they had a very good chance to win the series.
6: Ron Francis, a Hall
5: of Famer in and of himself,
6: knew what the Canes were up against.
3: Certainly looking at their lineup and our lineup on paper. Um, you know, if I was them, I'd feel like we had a pretty good chance. But they ended up with like 10 Hall of Fame players come off that roster, someone in that neighborhood. Um, so it was it was a hell of a team they had. But, um, you know, again, our team just didn't – I think we took our lunch bills and just went to work and, and did what we had to do. And, you know, we found a way to win game one. We lost game two and like I said game three I that one still hurt um but we win that game I think it's a strong possibility we have a different okay I remember talking to Brett all a few years later he goes you know game three and I said don't even bring it up I know what you're gonna say and he said yeah if you guys win that one I said yeah I know but I mean that's how how close you are and and you know I think you can look back at any cup run and there's things that go your way uh, when you win it. And there's things that don't go your way when you, when you don't win it. But, um, you know, we made him more proud of that team and that group of guys. as to uh, how hard we competed and, and um, you know, what that group did uh, and ultimately helped me solidify the team in the market.
6: Rod Brindamore knew that team was special, even though details are a little bit, well,
5: unclear. I don't have a lot of memories of that. I've got to be honest with you. No, it's it just enough. If, if you showed me video of it, right. I would be able to go. But it, I, I don't know what. I, I basically remember from 2006, <laughs> and that's about it. 2002 was I, – I, what I do remember is playing Detroit at the end, so I'm fast-forwarding what you it's just fine. said because it's I don't okay. have a lot. I do remember the disappointment in sitting in Detroit after we lost – I remember thinking, is this it? You know, did I just, is that going to be my last crack at winning this? And I was, that was not a good day. I remember that because it, it did feel like we had a good group. We we're right there. Um, and it slipped away. It slipped away in that one game where I felt like we had a chance to win. And, you know, we, they tied up late and then all that overtime game. And that was a backbreaker. We know now that Rod would get another chance, as
6: would Kevin Adams four years later.
8: I feel like when I think back on it, um, Game Three was such a critical game in that series because you know you just don't know how it goes. If 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 we we win that game and or we you know I know they scored late in an overtime, but if we if that doesn't happen, do we win that game? Like how does that go? Now Game Four, we're we're at home. You know, it yeah. just it feels like that was such a critical part um, to that series. But you know, I, I guess what I learned from that and maybe those guys had it already because of the experience they had. But what I learned certainly helped me personally in 06 was that you can't, you can't let your mind wander for one second um, when you're in a Stanley Cup final and you can't um, lose the, just the be in the moment type of thinking because, you know, I, I, I know personally after game one, I thought, okay, you know, three more to go. Let's, you know, we're good and close, but, you know, you can't think like that. It's got to just be next game and next moment, the next shift and, you know, all of that. And I, with the amount of experience they had across in that locker room, um, they probably had a little bit of a, I don't know if the right way to say it, but maybe a little bit of a better perspective having gone through that, where I know it helped me and I'm sure it did some of my teammates when we were there in 06.
6: A few thoughts on what's next after the break. The Carolina Hurricanes have packed a whole lot of drama and success into 25 years. One title, another trip to the finals, two other Eastern Conference finals bids, and a handful of division titles. That's a lot, considering there haven't been that many trips to the postseason. So what we have still to come are the best games and the best player moves, think about it as transactions, in the history of the Carolina Hurricanes. The last 25 years, the best games and the best player moves made by the front office. Feel free to reach out with your favorites. Send them along to fan on Twitter. I'd love to hear your thoughts. The 25th anniversary Canes Corner Podcast, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network, thanks to our friends at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina, with incredible assistance from Rusty Helser. I'm Adam Gold. See you next time.
5: You've been listening to the Cane's Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. The Cane's Corner Podcast is a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network.